Welcome to His Church Owensboro Podcast. We are so excited about what God is doing in your life, and we would love to hear from you. Visit us at hischurch.cc and let us know about all of the things that God is doing in your life. If you have been blessed by this podcast and would consider supporting us financially, please visit hischurch.cc and click on Give to see the many options available. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message blesses you. Good morning, His Church family. Is anybody glad to be in church today? Amen. I want to ask you to do something right now, not only here, but at every campus. I want to ask you to stand to your feet because we're going to do something as we get into the Word of God. I'm so excited to be with you guys. Again, my name is Shane Warren, and uh, I've been here before, so I just feel like family. I feel like you guys are family, but I just got to do something. I felt the Holy Spirit on that second song when we were declaring for God to build His church from the ground up. I really did feel that. And you know there's a scripture in your Bible in Psalm chapter 150 that makes a statement about worship. And it talks about all of these instruments that we just played. It talked about stringed instruments and drums and high-sounding cymbals and resounding cymbals and all kinds of things. And it talks about the ability uh, that we have, the opportunity we have when we come to church to be able to play those instruments and magnify God. And it's good. Don't you thank God for your worship teams at every campus right now. They do an amazing job leading us into the presence of God. But there's an ending on that passage of Scripture in Psalm 150. And it is the most important part of worship and praise. It goes like this. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. God loves to hear drums God loves to hear bass guitars, electric guitars. God loves to hear horns and every kind of stringed instrument you can imagine. But there is one thing that gets the attention of God above every instrument. After every instrument and every skilled musician has done their best, the Bible says there's one thing that I want to hear. God says there's one thing that I want to hear that that can't give me. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Then there's another scripture that says, I want you to clap your hands, all you people, and shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Now, we think many times when we clap and shout, it's because a preacher gives us an instruction to it, and it's just an expression of emotion, and we pass right by it. But I want to remind you that every time shouts are released in the Bible, walls fall down. I also want to remind you that the Bible says you have two instruments of warfare that God's given you, your hands and your mouth. And the Scripture says when you put them together, they become an instrument of warfare in the spirit realm that tear down walls. Now, I don't know what kind of wall you're facing today. I don't know what kind of trouble you got going on in your life. But I do know this. God has given you and I two weapons that can tear down every wall and demolish every strong. Come on, let everything at every campus right now, come on, let everything that has breath praise the Lord in the room. Come on, clap your hands, all you people. Somebody give God a shout of triumph in the room today. The walls are coming down. The walls are coming down. Amen. You can be seated, uh, not only here, but at every campus. We want to welcome all of our campuses today that are tuned in. And again, I want to thank Pastor Brian and Pastor Jesse for allowing me the opportunity to share the Word of God with you. I want you to take your Bibles out this morning, and you're going to need your Bible this morning because we're going to dig deep into the Word of God. Let's go to Genesis 
chapter 5, one of the most interesting uh, overlooked passages in all of the Word of God, Genesis chapter 5. Now, I've come with a word from heaven today, and the word that God has put on my heart is break the curse. Right now, we know the world's in trouble, America's in trouble, many of us, our homes are in trouble, churches are in trouble, but I just came with a word in my heart today that we need to break the curse. And I want to tell us today how God wants us to break the curse. If you feel like you are under a curse, if you feel like you're going through unusual warfare today, I want you to know I've got a word from heaven for you today. So please dig deep into the word of God with me. Y'all ready for the word this morning? Look at Genesis chapter 5. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. You can follow in any version you want. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. Now, I know right there, as soon as I read that first phrase, most of you are going to want to check out. I don't know if you're like me. If I want to go to sleep at night and I can't go to sleep, nothing puts me to sleep, I can usually take my Bible and I can turn to one of the genealogies or maybe the book of Numbers in uh, specifically. You know, I can plow through Genesis, Exodus, and really plow through Leviticus and all the laws. But when I get to Numbers and I start reading, and so-and-so begot so-and-so, Come on, y'all. And so-and-so begot so-and-so. I go into a coma. I'm telling you, faster than Ambien, I can go into a coma reading the genealogies. But I wanted you to pay attention today because there's some nuggets right here that I'm going to give you that are going to change your life. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, blessed them, and called them mankind in the day that they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. And after he begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years and he had sons and daughters. So all the days of Adam that he lived were 930 years and he died. How long did Adam live? I can't hear you. Every campus, how long did Adam live? 930 years. That's going to be very important in just a moment. And then he died. Seth lived 105 years, begot Enos. He begot Enos. Seth lived 807 years and had sons and daughters. All the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. And Enos lived 90 years, and he begot Canaan. And he begot Canaan, and Enos lived 815 years and had sons and daughters. And so all the days of Enos were 905 years, and he died. Again, don't check out. There's something in this passage. Verse 12, Canaan lived 70 years and begot Mahilalil. Now, I don't know what Mahilalil. Mahilalil's mama was thinking when she named him Mahilalil, but when I got older, if I was Mahilalil, I'd have had a talk with my mama about that one. After he begot Mahilalil, Canaan lived 840 years, had sons and daughters. All the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. And Mahilalil lived 65 years and begot Jared. After he begot Jared, Mahilalil lived 830 years and had sons and daughters. All the days of Mahilalil were 895 years, and he died. Jared lived 162 years, begot Enoch. Now, this is where it needs to, you really need to pay attention, and begot Enoch. And after he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Now, notice, and Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. And after he begot Methuselah, watch now, Enoch walked with God 300 uh, uh, 300 uh, years rather 
Enoch walked with God uh, and saw all the days, verse 23, of Enoch were 365 years, verse 24, and Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. I want us to read that verse out loud together, please. And Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. One more time. I got to hear your voice today. And Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. Then Methuselah lived 187 years, begot Lamech, and after he begot Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years, had sons and daughters, so all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he was so old he couldn't even move when he died. In verse number two, don't say that, I added that translation by the way. Verse 28, and Lamech lived 182 years and had a son and called his name Noah, saying, this one will comfort us concerning our work and the toll of our hands because the ground the Lord had cursed. And after he begot Noah, Lamech lived 560, or 95 years, had sons and daughters. All the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. And Noah was 500 years old. And so today I want to talk about breaking the curse. You know, many times, again, when we read the Bible, we don't really pay attention to some of the depths and the deep truths that are hidden within the Word of God. And I think a lot of that has to do with the Western mindset when we read the Bible versus the Eastern mindset of which it was written. For example, uh, one of the most overlooked passages in all of the Bible is Genesis chapter 5, but yet it holds one of the most prophetic declarations not only for us, but for the days to come. Uh, and all of the names that are listed in the genealogy there have significant meaning. Not just meaning, but also prophetic meaning. you got to understand that when the Hebrews would name their child, they didn't do it like Americans do it. They did, we, we name our children after the trending name on Google or Yahoo or Bing, whatever our search engine is. We, we want to find who the iconic pop star is of our day that we love and we hope our kids look just like they do when they grow up and have the money they have or the sports figure and so we name our children after people like that but in the word of God it's specifically in the Old Testament in the Hebraic culture a name was more than a name it was actually a prophetic declaration it was a it was like destiny was being decided for them by the giving their name. So whenever they gave their name, they believed that there was prophecy that was following their life. If you understand that, when you read the genealogies, they become much more important to you because now these names mean something. And it's this way throughout. I could stand up here literally for hours and talk to you about different genealogies like Matthew 1, the 42 generations uh, in the life, uh, the genealogy of Jesus Christ and all the genealogies and the names mentioned there and why they're put there and why there's some genealogies that have nothing but just fathers in it. And then in the middle of those genealogies and the lineage of Christ, they'll insert two women, one of them being a harlot, and, and, and both women are questionable lives, and it's, it's like God knows what he's doing with all of these generations and their names, right? Because God is a God of generations. 
I like what the Bible says. The, the Bible says God is the God of a thousand generations. His mercy goes down to, a, anybody in here glad for the mercy of God? It goes down to a thousand generations. But the Bible also says that sin moves through generations. He visits the sins of the fathers upon the children down to the third and fourth generation. And what I want to do today is I want to just take Genesis chapter 5, show you the importance of the names, the prophetic declaration, and I believe there's a message in here of how God wants us to address the curse of sin in our day. When you look at the ten names that are mentioned in Genesis chapter 5, you see a very prophetic declaration. I'm going to go through these names real fast. You're not going to have time to write them down, but you can go back and watch the message. But each one of these names means something, and then when you put it together, it has a statement. And if you've, any of you have followed my teaching at all, you've probably heard me talk about this, but this is just an introduction to the real nugget I'm going to give you. Adam, his name means man. Seth means appointed. Enoch means mortal. Canaan means sorrow. Mahilalil means blessed God. Jared means shall come down. Enoch means teaching. Methuselah's name means his death shall bring. Lamech's name means despairing. Noah's name means rest. Now that doesn't seem like much until you take the meaning of their names and just put it together in a sentence. If you put the meanings of the names together, here's what it literally said. Man is appointed to mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down teaching that his death shall bring the despairing rest. What is that, folks? What is that? That's the gospel. The gospel that man has fallen into sin and God's solution for the sin of mankind is the blessed God shall come down. He will take on flesh and he shall teach that uh, his death will bring the despairing rest. So you can see that the first genealogy in your Bible, a righteous genealogy, and I must point out here that Genesis chapter 4 has a genealogy of Adam going down through Cain and the wicked line. But this is the genealogy, the first genealogy in your Bible going down through the righteous line. And in the first genealogy, it is not a mistake that the author of the Word of God decided to conceal the gospel in the first 10 names of the first genealogy mentioned in your Bible. It was like God was declaring a destiny. This this prophetic utterance is still working in our day, even this morning when somebody re reached their hand up and gave their life to Jesus Christ. But what if you take it further and you look at Genesis chapter 5 and that genealogy, and then you go over to Genesis chapter 11, you'll notice that there's another genealogy there, and that goes all the way from Adam to Abraham. Now, what's interesting is when you add up all of the years, and again, every single one of these people, when they their names were mentioned, it tells how long they lived, the sons and daughters they had, and how old they were when they died. Why did God, the author of the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, why did he go to the, that extra effort to put in the exact time or year that they would die? How old was Adam when he died? Let's see how good your memory is. 930 years. Wow, y'all got it in Kentucky. 
930 years is how old when he died. Why did God go through that extra effort? Because all of those years even mean something. You got to remember, whew, I feel something coming up on me now. You got to remember there's some books in heaven. One of the books is the book of life, which every person who gives their life to Christ, their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Some people believe the book, the book of life is none other than the Word of God. The Hebraic rabbis believe, the rabbis believe that in the, the writings of the Word of God, every name of every human being and the number of their days is put in something called the Bible Code, which Einstein gave the second half of his life trying to study it. They believe that everything is actually covered in the Word of God. It's more intricate than you and I could ever even imagine. Come on, somebody. It is, it is such a powerful thing. So God knows the names mean to, need to mean something. The numbers need to mean something. When you go from Adam to Abraham, do you know how many years you come up to? You come up to 1948 years. Now, why is that important? Because from the carrying away of Babylon, when the children of Israel carried away into Babylon captivity, the, children, the, the, the nation of Israel did not exist as a nation. It was under occupation from other nations until the year 1948 when the prophet Isaiah says, can a nation be born in a day? And the answer to that is yes. And in 1948, God once again resurrects a dead nation. Can these born? Don't tell me we can't have revival in America. If God can resurrect a dead nation, God can resurrect America, somebody. And so notice here, in the first two genealogies of your Bible, you have a de declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ, a, also a prophetic utterance about the nation of Israel and the rebirth of the nation of Israel that was the spark of literally all the prophetic passages that are falling on our heads during our time, and that was Genesis chapter 5 and Genesis chapter 11. So there is truth all through this, and, and I could go on for a long time about this, but I don't have time to hit everything because my, my time is very limited this morning. But here's what I want to do today. I want you to notice something. I hope you got a Bible out. Everybody got a Bible out? Surely you got a Bible out. Hopefully you didn't come to Bible, come to church without a Bible. You know, coming to church without a Bible is like eating spaghetti without a fork. You get a lot on you, not a lot in you. I didn't come to throw food at you. I came to put something in you today. Come on, come to the table of the Lord and eat. Come on, let's taste and see that the Lord is good this morning. I want you to just look over at Genesis chapter 4. In Genesis chapter 4, you'll notice again the genealogy of Adam going down through Cain. You remember Adam and Eve had two babies, Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel. Everybody say Cain and Abel. How many remember the story from Sunday school? Y'all remember the story? You remember the story how Cain killed Abel? Well, do you know why, where that bitter, bitter feud began? It actually began in the womb. Most people don't realize this. The Bible says Adam went into Eve and knew Eve, his wife, and she, she bore or became pregnant. She conceived, and then she bore Cain. The Bible then says she bore again Abel. She didn't conceive twice. She conceived once. Cain and Abel were twins. Folks, you don't just read the Bible. you got to read the Bible. Cain and Abel were twins. And so here we have the first twins of the Bible, and they have a falling out over the first offering mentioned in the Word of God, and a murder takes place. I wish I could tell you how many times I've seen people get killed over offerings in church. Selah. Anyhow, uh, uh, 
But anyway, they they have the first murder that takes place. Well, Cain is marked with a mark. Everybody say he's marked. He's actually marked with the Hebrew letter Tav. The Hebrew letter Tav is a cross. So even when the first man committed a murder, God put the symbol of the cross on him so that nobody else could kill him. The cross has always been the remedy for man's sin. It always has. So Cain wanders off into the land of Nod. He meets a distant cousin, gets married, and starts having children. That's in Genesis chapter 4. Now here's what I want you to do. Just run down through the genealogy in your Bible. Just real quickly run down through genealogy, Genesis chapter 4. You'll find out that many of the names that are mentioned in the genealogy going from Adam through Cain is almost identical with a slight variant to all the names mentioned in Genesis chapter 5, and some are exactly identical. For example, you have Methuselah. Methuel in Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 5 is Methuselah. Mahilalil, Mahul over in Genesis chapter 4. You have Lamech. There's a Lamech in Genesis chapter 5. There's a Lamech in Genesis chapter 4. Now let me tell you what a lot of Bible scholars believe here. A lot of Bible scholars believe that this is one in the same listing of genealogies. The names are just slightly changed, but they're one in the same. It's the same family. I do not believe that. I believe that these are two different genealogies, one coming through Cain, another one coming through Seth, because after Abel was killed, God allowed Eve to conceive again, and she had another child named Seth. And Seth would be the righteous one who would be appointed to bring the line of the the lineage of Christ. And so when you follow the bloodline of Christ, it goes all the way from Adam down Seth's side all the way through the Word of God to Jesus Christ. It is the righteous bloodline. Here's what I want you to notice. In Genesis chapter 4, you have similar names, but their lives are totally different. The Bible says that people like Lamech and others, there's polygamy in Genesis chapter 4. The first mention of polygamy in your Bible, Genesis chapter 4. The first mention of music not being used to worship God is Genesis chapter 4. The birth of wicked music is Genesis chapter Uh, uh, 4. The Bible says that Lamech kills a man for bruising him. The, the, The Hebrew translation literally means basically he offended him. Somebody offended him. He murders a man. So we have polygamy. We have murder. It, it, it's like, a, it's like, a, it's like a, a, a murder mystery or something. You watch on television. All of this is going down through the line. Notice sin is being perpetuated from generation to generation to generation to generation in Genesis chapter 4. And it culminates like this. Lamech says, I'm going to have a baby. His name is going to be Tubal-Cain. And what Tubal-Cain means double bad. Double bad. In other words, if you think his great, 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 great granddaddy was bad and mean and tough, he's going to be worse. He's going to be double as bad as his great, great granddaddy. So notice in Genesis chapter 4, you have the sins of the father being visited down upon the next generation, and the sin is increasing in every generation. The curse is being perpetuated in every single generation. And Adam has Seth, and he realizes something's got to change. So notice God uses Adam to name his child Seth, which means appointed. 
Seth is going to be different than Cain. Seth isn't going to be a murderer. I'm going to change the legacy of this thing. I'm going to change the direction of the generations that are coming after me. And so notice now Adam lives 930 years, and he passes his faith down to Seth, and Seth passes it down, and it keeps going down. And if you'll read it, you'll see that righteousness, a, a, a faith, a desire for faith in God is increasing from generation to generation to generation to all of a sudden you get down to a man by the name of Lamech. Different Lamech, same root. Different Lamech. Can I tell you something? Just because your mama was an alcoholic or an addict, just because your daddy was a, a pervert, just, just because somebody in your family has a tendency or proclivity to a certain style of sin does not mean that that same sin has to come down on you. I do believe that there are genetic imprints. I do believe that. I do believe there's genetic imprinting. I do believe there's spiritual imprinting that takes place upon a life. Sociologists and psychologists tell us there's genetic imprinting, and scientists approve that. But there's also spiritual imprinting, and people grow up in environments, and genetically and spiritually, there are imprints upon them. But i got to give you a scripture right here. The Bible says, if any man comes to Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away, and all things become new. You say, Pastor, but what if it's in my genes. Well, I got good news for you. When you come to Jesus, give your life to Christ, you get regenerated. You get regened. You come out of the family of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. Come on, somebody. Anybody glad for the saving grace of Christ? Right? So watch now, Genesis 4, sin is being perpetuated from generation to generation to generation and is culminating in a murderous man. A polygamous man. Lamech kills. The reason Lamech's murder there is so bad is he kills his own son-in-law for offending him. I'm talking about sin being perpetuated. But over here on this other side, we see the righteous line. We see what happens when men and women of God pass their faith down, live their faith before the next generation. Whew, my granddaddy was one of those men. He'd put his hand on my head and talk about the faith. He, he was almost illiterate, couldn't even hardly read the Bible, would take me out in the woods, and he had altars built, of big old piles of rocks, altars, and he would kneel me down around that altar and put his hand on my head and say, Son, one of these days you're going to be one of the greatest preachers that ever lived. You're going to touch the world. You're going to preach on television. He didn't even know anything about ministry, never had a preacher in his life, Get, got saved in an older age, put his hand on my head and would prophesy over my life. I'm telling you right now, you can pass the blessing down or you can pass the curse down. Lamech, same family, different man, says, I'm not going to be like my uncle Lamech over there. He crazy. He lost his mind. He's all jacked up over there. I'm not going to be like him. I'm going to be different. I'm going to raise my kids in the house of God. I'm going to raise them to fear the Word of God and love the Word of God and have a fear of God. And so guess what he does? He raises up and gives birth to a son by the name of Enoch. And the Bible says, I'm about to preach right here. The Bible says, and Enoch walked with God 300 years. If you'll go and look in your Bible, you'll find a truth that most people never see. Do you know who was alive while Enoch walked with God? Adam. Do the math. How long did Adam live? 
930 years, go down through the generations, do the math, you'll find out that Adam, his great, 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 great granddaddy was still alive. And the last time, or the first time your Bible mentions anything about walking with God, it says Adam before the fall would, would get out in the cool of the day and God would come down and walk with Adam in the cool of the day in the garden. And so Adam knew what it was like to walk with God and he passed it down to Seth. He said, I lost it, but you can get it back. He passed it on down. It came all the way down to Lamech and they would all sit around granddaddy's kitchen table and Pop would sit there with a cane and he'd tell them about how good God is and how the presence of God felt and it made them so hungry that one of his great, 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 great grandsons said, "If and my granddaddy could walk with God, I think I'll go out there and do it. And he eased out into a field. Enoch did, eased out into a field and he started walking with God and he had a mentor to help him walk with God for 300 years before Adam died. He, for 300 years, Adam got to tell Enoch, his great-great-grandson, how to walk with God. Are y'all listening to what I'm saying? He was passing down the faith. Guess what happened? As a result, Adam's out there, or Enoch rather, is out there walking with God, and God tells Enoch a secret. The Bible says in Hebrews, Enoch, that is, is the first one to prophesy about the flood. God, it's because, listen, because somebody passed down their faith, a prophetic utterance was given to a generation that there was judgment about to come on the world. And Enoch said, when's it going to happen? And God told Enoch, it's going to happen when Methuselah, your son, dies. So pass this thing down. And so he passes it down. And the Bible says Methuselah's name literally means his death shall bring. Shall bring what? The flood. Because as soon as Methuselah dies, we got to get in the ark and get that door shut because judgment is about to come. And because of one man deciding he wasn't going to let sin rule in a generation, he was going to pass his faith down. He raised up a prophetic generation, and one that, that would be named Noah. And why did he name him Noah? He said, because he'll be the one. One translation says it like this, he'll be the one that'll break the curse. All of this curse that we've been seeing, all this murder, all of this crime, all of this stuff that's going on in our world, there'll be one man who'll break it, and he's going to break it one way. He's not going to break it by just having a church experience. He's going to break it because there was somebody in his house that was putting his hands on their sons and daughters and prophesying over them and passing their faith down. So I got a three-point message, and I'm done today. Here's three things I want you to write down. Number one, write this down. Faith is generational. Faith is generational. This faith that you and I have was once, everybody say once, once delivered to the saints. And this faith that we have is not a weak faith. Let me tell you, the stock you came out of, you came out of people who died for their faith. This isn't something weak. This isn't a cowering faith. This is a strong faith. People spilled their blood to pass it down from generation to generation. They would not bow and they would not bend. And many of them were burned at the stake and fed to lions and watched their children ripped apart in front of them. Yet they never backed down and never denied Jesus Christ as the Lord of their life. Don't tell me that the church is weak. No, sir. I come from a faith that is strong as steel. Faith is generational. Sin's also generational, but faith is generational. Number two, write this down. Faith has to be transferred. This generation, this generational blessing has to be transferred. It's got to be passed on. It's got to be transferred to somebody. 
Are y'all listening to me today? If, you, if we're going to save America, church people better start rising up and blessing their children and their grandchildren. We better make sure our kids are raised in the house of God, that they know the Word of God. Right now, we're letting iPhones and Google phones tell our children what to believe and school teachers tell our children what to believe. You better stop doing that. You better get that Bible out in your house and do what my grandfather did and put your hands on your children and prophesy over them. Speak the blessing of God over their life. And as we do it, it will increase to every generation. I know today you came for me to give you a quick fix out of the problems we're facing. Look at me. I'm telling you right now, the fix for America is in children's church right now. The fix for America is in our youth groups right now. It's these young people sitting under the sound of my voice that didn't even want to get out of bed this morning and your mom and daddy made you come to church today and you don't even understand why. I'll tell you why. Because there's a faith that's got to be passed down to a generation. It's the only hope for a fallen world, the cross of Jesus Christ and the faith that is being passed down.